And welcome to the show. I've got my friend Hugo Torres. Last time I talked to Hugo was episode 295, and we are up there almost knocking on 400. So welcome, Hugo. Thank you so much. Hi, good morning. Uh, hello from sunny Southern California. We're supposed to be in the 90s today, uh, which feels like summertime. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting day. So I'm glad to be doing this, uh, first thing in the morning with you. Yeah. I, pre- crazy. I appreciate it too. I, I wish we had weather like that here in upstate New York. I think it's only going to be about 45 degrees today. Oh my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> no, you know, that's the, that's the amazing part of us living here in Southern California is the fact that we are so, um, different from the rest of the country. I mean, you guys are still kind of dealing with that springtime time, mm-hmm. you know? And we are in full-on summer mode here, which is both good and bad with everything that's going on. I mean, it's part of the reason why people are want to flock to the beaches because it is, you know, you want to escape the heat. We really can't, or we really shouldn't. And I so know. it's that tug back and forth of people that, you know, we got to do the right thing, but we also have the reality of the sun on top of us. I know it's not getting it's not getting any easier, and I I really enjoy California too. I spent three months there when I went to rehab. I was in um, Dana Point area, oh, yeah. and it was beautiful. And I really fell in love with it. If I could afford to live in that area, I would because I know if you as soon as you drive like an hour away from the ocean, it's really hot. <laughs> and being here in upstate New York my whole life, it just is. I'm accustomed to the cold weather, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I will say that, you know, first and foremost, the operative word is if you can afford it. I mean, it's it's not cheap living here in Southern California, that's for sure. But there are a lot of times during the year where I wish that we knew cold, <laughs> the way that you guys know cold. But it, but I know that that's, you know, it's it's one of those things where I, in my mind it seems like a good idea. But once I'm in it, I don't think, that, you know, I've, I've gotten so accustomed to the, to the heat. Uh, but here in the valleys, whenever we get into those, uh, you know, dog days of summer, the uh, late August, uh, and it's 100 degrees, 100 degrees plus, and you can't es- escape it no matter where you go. You also don't want to run up a huge electric bill. Um, uh, those are the days when I start dreading, and I wish I could go up to Alaska where my in-laws live uh-huh. and get away from get away from this 100-degree weather and maybe go into 75 and 80. But 45? To me, that is—it's as frigid as you're gonna get. That it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, I my mom lives in up or in uh, Arizona, so I've been in that desert oh, heat yeah. too, and that's different than the California heat too. It just feels feels different. I want to pick your brain with a couple strange questions, if I could. Sure. If you could abandon your phone, internet, and family and friends for three months for a prize of $1 million, but you're not allowed to tell anybody that you're going to do this. Would you do that? For a million dollars? Yeah, for three months. I mean, you just got to fall off the face of the earth, though, and you can't you can't tell anybody. You know, I, that's a great question, and let me talk to you through my, uh, through my thought process. Yeah, please. I, I guess... I would say yes. A million dollars could go a long way. I, I think if anything, it would pay off our home. That's a given. It, it depends on whether I have to pay taxes or not. But even with that, no, no taxes. Money, million bucks. There would be, yeah, there would be some money to pay off the home. It would be money to not necessarily secure um, the kids' uh, education, but it's certainly 
it certainly would uh, would help a great deal. Maybe store a little bit of money for um, retirement. Uh, so, in in that sense, it would it would give us a great push. Now, then you got to think about you know the how cruel that is. I know for anybody what the trauma is to to your loved one. But I would like to think that. In the great scheme of things, and, and that's where you got to, you know, these are the tough decisions that, you know, adults we got to make, which is apropos because we're making a lot of tough decisions as people now. Right. But in the great scheme of things, I think I could justify to my family the scare. First and foremost, my wife is one of the strongest people I ever know. And although it would freak her the heck out. No, eventually she would manage. Um, my children, I think they're cognizant enough to know that something's going on, and I think they would end up hating the fact that I hurt mom, but then be glad that I came back. So I, again, there's a there's a cruelty there because my kids are middle school age, and so they they're aware there of of what would be going on, but they would be they would be aware that. That my wife is, is in pain. Yeah, that's a tough one, isn't it? You know, it would be one of those ones where it, afterwards the people would be like, well, I am I can see why you did it, but I, yeah, it's a tough question. That is a really tough one, and there's really no right answer. Is there, is there um, and I appreciate you walking through that process with us because that's, like I said, is a, it's a really weird question. I have weird ones anyways. What? Well, it is, and, and, and also from the standpoint of the fact, just to just to go back to it real quick and to answer it, I mean, there's also the, the trauma to somebody like myself. I'm, I'm an extremely sensitive individual, mm -hmm. and although I, you know, complain sometimes, you know, when I watch any of these reality shows the, and on those episodes where the family comes back and everybody's breaking down, and I always make fun of the fact that they're, oh, I can't believe I haven't seen you for a month. I, I know that I would miss my family, especially as close as we've gotten during the last you know, 60 days or so of this quarantine. I would say, though, that I would probably do it because I also know how fast a month goes. Yeah, it does. A month goes by really fast. I think if it was any longer than a month, I would be like, it's not worth the million because I, I, I couldn't myself, like you said, I'm a person who really, this is why this quarantine and this whole corona has been hard because I'm a hugger. You know, I'm a guy that likes to hug people. I like to interact with my fellow human, my fellow man, and we can't, you know, right now. And it's, it's really difficult. It's making things hard. It is right prior to, you know, everything, us being shut down the way, the way that we have been. Um, I had a friend who passed away from cancer. Uh, she was, you know, a little bit of everything to me, uh, a mentor in, in the real estate business, somebody that became a really close pal from a standpoint of writing. She was a writer and an artist and, uh, she was kind enough to actually give me some of her art, which is, is dear to me now. And so, so, and also she was a colleague because I, I was actually technically her manager for, for a very long time. And and, and, is, and so, she passes away not from COVID, but she passes away, and we're invited to a celebration of life for her. And again, this is before we knew how contagious this thing was. This is before we really knew what the news were. There were a lot of rumors up in the air. And so my wife and I decided that I would go to the celebration of life just, 
to make sure that, you know, to say hello to all friends because we had a lot of colleagues in common uh, and, and stuff is here in the city. Uh, but she told me, do your very best not to interact as far as hugging or anything like that. And I told her, don't worry. I'm just going to go there. I'm going to pay my respects. It's literally down the street from where, where we live here. And then I'll come right back. And I stepped onto into the restaurant and I saw dozens of people who I have done neither business with or who I've broken bread with uh, or who I have done business with. And the moment I've said hello to, you know, the moment I stepped in and I, and I, and I say hello to a lot of old pals, people can't help themselves. And they would come and say, hey, Hugo, how's it going? And, and, and they know that I'm I have a, like you, that I have this friendly nature about me. And I'm like, well, no, I was told that I got to stay away in my half-joking manner. And they're like, oh, we don't care about that. And they just embrace me. Yeah. And part of me kind of came back home and, of course, you know, threw everything in the, you know, well, I was wearing a suit. But, you know, put everything in the dry cleaning bin. And, and took a shower and whatnot. And that's the moment that I realized very early on that if I did not force myself to be, to, to redirect my mind on, on how I go about talking to people and interacting with people, that I was going to be in trouble and that quarantine was the best thing for me because we cannot help ourselves. You know, we're such so tactile about the way we go things. And even though the rules are changing of, of touching one another, uh, before all this has happened, this is just going to extrapolate that or, or going to make it a, a lot more difficult for us to be touchy-feely because I don't know that anybody, even if the government tomorrow were to say the restrictions are out and it's going back to normal, I don't know that I would until we have a vaccine. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I know what you mean, that uncertainty, the unknown. No, we're, 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 we're really grappling here. As of late, the, the the state of California, actually, no, our, our Los Angeles Unified School District, LAUSD, is this, I think the second largest school district in the nation. I, I think New York is number one. Wow. And they just announced yesterday that August 18th, I believe, is when they're going to come back to school. Well, they're going to start school, but they don't know when people will be able to return to campuses. And I'm a product of LAUSD. Uh and I know how dense the population of my high school was when I was a kid, and I don't know that it's changed much since then. You're talking thousands of kids at one high school, uh, and, and obviously millions of kids throughout you know, the, the, the Southern California. To think that you are going to reintroduce a population of teenagers and they are going to withhold from wanting to be close, from wanting to, to, to do the same thing that the, the teens have been doing since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about the, you know, the, 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 the drives that they have. I'm just talking about the fact that, that they want to play ball and they want to run and they want to chase each other around the mall and hug and say hello to their friends. To think that you are going to be able to police that um, seems bananas to me. It doesn't seem like it's, it, it, it's, it's an actual plan. Yeah. And so I understand why they wouldn't want to come back onto the campus. Well, then you got to think, well, those folks got to come back home, you know, to people with health issues and, 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 and whatnot. And I just see a problem coming down the lane and we're not careful. Uh, and this isn't a politics issue. This is a question of what are you, like you said, who, how are people like, and, and you and I are, I don't think we're all that odd. We just want to be, 
touchy and and, and, and tell the people that we care about them that we love them uh-huh. uh or we care about them you know or, or or sometimes just give that touch on the shoulder to say it's gonna be all right or or, or you know give them a hug when it's their birthday and we do that so readily uh as folk and and i don't know that i don't know that we're ready to go back to it right and at, at least not until we have a, a, a viable vaccine Right. And that's hard, uh, like you said, because that's part of being human, though, too. That's just our natural thing. And how do you separate? I think of even younger children of like the germ magnets of the preschool age or the kids that are in first grade or kindergarten and they're running around and hugging each other and doing all their stuff. And, you know, that's just a normal part of being a kid and being a human and learning how to explore. And how do you how do you. How do you also stop the children from doing that? Because that's part of growth as well. So it's like that double-edged, oh, it's just, it's a really bad situation. You know, two points. I, and, and I, I, this is something, again, that I'm grappling with. I, I have two middle schoolers. Um, one is on the younger side of, of the middle school years, one's on, the, on his way to high school. And I wonder what this generation is because we're going to be with this thing for a while. Mm-hmm. It's not going to end just because we arbitrarily say August 18th is the day we go back to school, quote unquote, doesn't mean that, you know, things are going to go back to normal. Right. Uh, because parents are going to have to make some decisions here, some tough decisions. Um, but I wonder what the socialization component is going to be to this generation of, you know, high schoolers. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the way that I've always understood middle school from the standpoint of educators is that middle school, and I don't know where I heard this, so if, if you know somebody in your audience wants to chime in later on and correct me by all means on the Twitter space or anywhere else, but I heard something along the lines that for middle schoolers, it's it, there's an academic component to those years, but it's also a bridge, a socialization bridge, mm-hmm. that they're going from those early elementary school days of just kind of coming online for lack of a better term and then realizing that they're they become self-aware to some degree and so those middle school years are so odd because they're starting to dabble in the socialization game and by the time that they get to high school they figured out a lot of the tools that they're going to need to be social and then and then high school they, they can become back they can come back to actually be academic and to start learning things because they've realized, that, oh, okay, I'm a person. I live in a social space. I went through those awkward middle school years where I was all over the place. And although high school is, 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 is not necessarily a finishing school, it's not as rough as it used to be. Now, again, I could be completely off base and some sociologist out there is going to tell me otherwise or child development person is going to tell me otherwise. But I wonder for a lot of kids who, for the next few years, are going to be stunted in the fact that they may they may understand their classmates only via screens, mm-hmm. which we were already complaining prior to this was a problem. Right now, we we we've added onto that the fact that all their meetings are either on screens or on email. I, I wonder what this generation is going to be like. Whether there'll be an arrested development type of uh, component or will actually this be healthier because to a certain degree we're going back to basics i mean if you really think about human you know the, the way humans have been 
modern school systems have only been around since what maybe the 1930s and 1940s the way that we know them um yeah at least here in the united states where you, you didn't necessarily always go to school like to an actual classroom i mean you a lot of the learning and teaching that the teenagers had was done to some degree at home and at family farms blah blah, blah. so i, I that's a, a very long way of saying that i don't know how that's going to to affect them the other point that i wanted to make um, and then I'll be quiet so that you can ask. No, no, this is great. This is great, Hugo. I love your thought process with this. Thank you. But I heard, did, did you ever watch that show, Married to Children? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I, I mean, I grew up with, with, with that stuff, and, it, you know, it was funny. But there was an episode where Peggy Bundy, Katie Sagal, which, by the way, has aged wonderful yeah oh yeah but uh katie Sagal's character peggy she hires a personal trainer and well yeah she hires a personal trainer i think she's going she's going to show al that you know she can do this and this guy is you know beefy and and, and he also eats right and tries to get her eat right to eat right and, and and blah 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 anyways he ends up dying on the show this is getting more of it but he ends up dying on the show and Al makes the argument that the reason why this guy, this super healthy guy died is that the moment that Peggy, being Peggy, introduced to him all the junk and all the bad stuff that they're used to eating, that his body couldn't take it because it was so refined. And the reason why I keep on thinking about that is... One of the things that happens every single school year, um, I coach at one of the schools, so I, I get to go onto the campuses and, and you know spend some time with with the middle school or so. And, and before that, I was I volunteered a lot as a, as a dad, you know, at, at the elementary school. Is that school to a certain degree is a very odd petri dish, you know? Yeah. Always, people get sick when they go to school. I, 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 I'm always amazed at teachers, the fact that they put themselves in this place because kids are snot factories. Yeah. And, and I wonder, here we are for a year and a half. Well, I mean, by the time this is done, perhaps a year and a half of kids just not having that interaction with those old germs, with all, with, with all of that stuff that I think to a certain degree, our bodies our our physiology our biology are used to having right mm -hmm. and we are like for instance if i think about myself right now i have been uh you know because we've been so careful of being around no one with a cough a cold a, a sore of any kind we've refined our bodies to to the point where we haven't been in contact with you know germs the way that we used to that, that we're used to for a while i really wonder too when we come back to the school settings you know, into the social environment will we not just have to deal with the covids of the world the covid 19s of the world but will the regular cold her, uh, attack us and hurt us more than than, in, than it used to or yeah. used to, or the regular flu Maybe in the stand from the sense of human biology, 18 months is a blink of an eye, if that, and so maybe it won't do anything. Or if the pause in us having access to those germs, the way that the, the way that the ebb and flow of life typically is, 
if, if that's something that we actually need and that we're depriving ourselves of, and it will end up hurting us more. Yeah. Uh, because quarantine at this, uh, at this degree, I don't know that I've ever heard of before. I don't think I've ever studied a quarantine like this at any point in human life. So there's a lot of stuff going on there, Patrick. Yeah. That, uh, you know. Absolutely, though. And, you know, the whole thought process of, uh, you know, to bring him back to the way middle schoolers are and the way their growth development is and everything and how that's going to, how to change. I really, I, you know, hadn't really thought about that and the interaction that you need with your fellow peers, you, is there's growth with that and to not have that. But I didn't also think of the good point of maybe it could take away some of those social um, problems that children at that age arise of maybe you're not wearing the right shirt or the right pair of shoes or something if you're maybe just on a screen learning those type of things maybe aren't as judged and so i you know what i mean because kids at that age you name it they'll pick anything out if a hair is out of place so you know i will i will tell you that one of the scariest things for me and i'm a 42 year old uh guy here but like i told you i, I coach and we talked about this before on the show but, mm-hmm. but I, I coach and 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 because i'm a helicopter parent i'm one of these new new age Gen Xers that can't let their kids go. I go onto the campus and, and, and coach just so that I could, you know, keep an eye on what's going on with with my kiddos. And one of the most nerve wracking things sometimes is to be around is to be about to be around teenagers because they are aware of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't know, something hyper aware. You know, yeah. And, and something happens with myself where I know that they are looking at me and, and, and they're and they're like they, they take their cues from their coach and how he acts and, 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 and how he behaves at certain points. And, and and I feel that weight of their, their you know, of their of their judging of their hyper vigilance. Uh-huh. And, and if I feel it, who, who is somebody who has quote unquote matured and who has social skills and who maneuvers around the internet the way that I maneuver it. And I, so I have all of these abilities and, and skills that I've developed and, and, and also have a developed brain more or less. And I have cha- a challenge dealing with the vigilance that they have. I cannot imagine a young, um, a young modern brain trying to cope with that on a daily basis and on top of that, not being able to escape it the way that you and I could escape it back in the day when 3 o'clock came and you left school and you went home, unless you were going to be on the phone with your friends for the next two hours, typically you could leave school at school. Yeah. And then come back to it the next day. Or if the weekend came, you know, you might hang out with a couple of pals and whatnot, but you weren't dealing with the, the whole social dynamic the way that these guys are because they can jump in onto the Insta face and and people are liking your photos or commenting on your photos or, or worse yet, they're not commenting on your photos, which right. is, is an entire drama uh, thing. So I, in that sense, I'm kind of glad that at least for, for mine and uh, you know, you're stuck with the de- hand you're dealt with, but at least for mine, they're not dealing with that right now. Right. Life is relatively simple and, and that's the key word. It's relative because that's one of the conversations that we have. And, and it's one of the things that I talk a, a great deal on the Twitter machine is the, is the fact that I'm, I'm very aware how relative things are just because we're doing okay. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean everybody is. 
No doubt. Your Twitter game is strong, by the way. <laughs> I, I struggle on Twitter. You have to be, I found Twitter, you have to really be witty and uh, say, you know, short bursts of something that really means something. And, and usually you're nailing it on there. And I struggle with my Twitter game, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, um, I want to jump to just, to, I know we're talking all kinds of stuff, but if you were in a band, what kind of music would you play, Hugo? Grunge. Grunge? Um, really? Yeah. Grunge, huh? I think so. Only because I'm angry. No. I, <laughs> I think that, uh, well, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I, I vacillate, you know, between so many different genres. I mean, because the other thing that first. I do too. Mind, the, grunge came to mind only because I've been, you know, listening to a lot of it. One of the, um, one of the things that parents need to realize, and, and you know, my kids are younger. I, I know that you have older kids. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my kids are middle schoolers. So I really feel like this is a perfect time since they don't have any choice for me to be their sixth teacher and their at-home teacher. And part of that means that I get to teach them all about my times. And I grew up in the grunge area. I grew up uh, listening to the Pearl Jam. Yeah. Stone Temple Pilots and the Nirvana's of the world. And I still have those CDs that all of a sudden we can play here now, you know, from the first thing in the morning when they wake up until the afternoon. I don't necessarily do that to them because I would have a riot on my <laughs> Are they appreciating it, though? I think so. Good. They're, they're, getting to, they're getting to know it the way that, I uh, I learn my music, which is it's in the background. And when we first came to this country, just so that your audience knows, I'm originally from Mexico, and, and we immigrated here back in the late '80s. Mm -hmm. And my parents were very, like a lot of um, immigrant parents, were very cautious of American society and American morals and whatnot. And and they certainly didn't want me listening to any of that hair metal stuff the, kids, <laughs> the youth here was playing there was no metallica when i grew up right um and so my parents trusted the oldies when they were really oldies back then the doo-wop you know so i listened to a lot of the supremes i listened to a lot of elvis i listened to a lot of johnny cash uh, a lot of beach boys and stuff like that all the good uh, all stuff of, uh, that's what i think and so I grew up with that being in the background and a lot, obviously a lot of Mexican music. Um, and so for me, I teach that to my kids too. I mean, they, 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 they know all of that old school stuff, but I have been introducing to them a lot of the grunge stuff with the Alanis Morissette, which oh, for whatever yeah. reason, my daughter is, is, is loving. Um, Jagged little again, pill. That's right. That's right. I can learn her for yeah, I, I can teach her to be angry at you know at the rain. <laughs> my my niece, one of our nieces, we were FaceTiming with her yesterday because my wife's birthday is today, and so my niece wanted to say happy birthday to her and everything. And she's got a bunch of albums. She started collecting vinyl, and from oh. one of my brother-in-law, she got a uh, Pink Floyd, the uh, Dark Side of the Moon. And I told oh, yeah. her, I said, you know, I am so proud of you as a 13-year-old that you found that and you're digging it and liking it because that's probably one of the best Pink Floyd albums, arguably. Uh, well, arguably. There's, there's so many good ones, but I, it's pretty neat to see that these kids are grasping onto vinyl. That was something I had and loved. Oh, yeah. We, so, have, we have it here, too. It's amazing. And, 
it, it is. You know, there's something there's something about tradition that I have. You know, it's my own thing. But and we, we did this prior to the to to the quarantine. But every Saturday morning or every Saturday morning that I could, I get up before everybody else, um, and I burn some incense because I'm a hippie. We do too. We <laughs> uh, <laughs> burn some incense. I start, uh, you know, getting all the fixings for breakfast, whether it's going to be pancakes or waffles and, and typically bacon. And so I let that, that aroma of the incense mix with the aroma of the bacon. Mm. And then I go to my, to, to my turntable and I, uh, I put on, it's, you know, I put on some either uh, Pink Floyd. There you or go. I will do some Bob Marley. Or you know, I, I have a you know a bunch of different uh, vinyl records out there, and I, I it's it's my favorite moment of the morning. There's a bit of sunshine that comes from the from the east on my house, and it hits the turntable in just the right way. And then I grab that needle, and it scratches on the vinyl, and then the music starts playing. That's beautiful. And it it's the best way to start my mornings with all the the, the mix of aromas and, and the scratch of the needle. And, and that's what I'm hoping to 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 pass on to my children is those little moments that you savor because they're you know it's so easy to to turn on the iPod and just press play but there's something about that tactile nature yeah that, the, the the vinyl and the needle and like you said I'm glad that some youths are getting that yeah they're really embracing that and speak you know I think that you. What I see, too, in the, the little Hugo universe that I see through the little window is I, I see you uh, is like food and everything is you really romanticize it and cook it with such passion. And I think that that a lot of times is what I, I see is in a lot of immigrants that I've dealt with or my, is a lot of passion and a lot of things anyways, more than what I might find in somebody who's just born right here in America. Not that an American doesn't have that... Um, passion but i i see that a lot of times that immigrants are just more i don't know because the truth of today's immigrants are they're usually the generation after generation they're they work the longest hours their hardest lowest paying jobs but they're just the most passionate most caring people and stuff and i see that in your food and your your universe that you share i i appreciate that the uh the los angeles times uh this recently this is me patting myself on the back uh, but the, the Los Angeles Times recently did a story on immigrants and how they are dealing with the the COVID. Actually, this was about three weeks, three to four weeks ago, and uh, and I was one of the featured immigrants that they had on there. Oh, okay. And it came from a it came from a Twitter exchange. One of the local reporters asked the question, and I answered it. And she's like, "Well, I would like to interview you," and she did. And they sent a, a camera person to the house and took a couple of photos of me. Yada yada yada. Anyways, but we talked about. Uh, the, 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 the angle of the story was that when I was a little kid, um, I lived and my family lived through the 1985 Mexico earthquake. A, a, a very, it, it was a huge event in Mexico City, uh, killed many, many people, disrupted life for several months. And I was, you know, just a little kid, and it was my mom. My dad was here in, in the U.S. trying to set up a life for us. So it was my mom, my sisters, and I uh, living through some tough times with very little to do. I mean, with very little money, with few resources, with infrastructure that was broken, 
and all that stuff. And I, the point to some degree of the article, or at least the, what I told the reporter, was the fact that I am thankful for that experience as, as scary as it was because it gave me context, context that I'm needing now. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's very difficult for somebody like me uh, to watch people freak out about quote-unquote freedoms when they have it so easy compared to so other, so many others. Right. Right. Um, You've lived it, you know. Yeah. And, and so when it comes to, when it comes to the little window that you're talking about online and it is a, it is a snippet. uh, And I really try to do my best Patrick, not to show a, you know, just a curated, uh, uh, well, I guess everything's curated, but not to, sh- but not to show only the good stuff. I mean, if, if I'm on Twitter, as you know, I talk about you know, things that irk me, that hurt yeah. me. That, oh, yeah. You know, but with a positive spin. Um, so my, my point in all of that is that I am very self-aware of the fact that because of the hard work that my wife and I have been able to achieve a relatively comfortable place in life during a pandemic. Yeah. And so whenever I go and I, and I am trying to create something, one is because I have a need to create like you, I need to express myself to the world in any way I can. It's a drive for me. Um, but also because I am trying to just, squeeze as much of the marrow of life and enjoy it as much as possible because I know that it can be snuffed away so quickly and that this that's another component of the the, the immigrant experience is the fact that you're always kind of waiting for the shoe to drop. Mm. It's one of the challenges that I've had in life. And I'm not again I'm not this is not just myself and it could this could be anybody. But the way that we grow up with the, with the ebb and flow of being poor and being okay and being poor and okay, because that was kind of the stop and start of, of you know of the life that I've led, is that you kind of always waiting for, okay, we're doing really good right now. When's it gonna end? Mm. When's it gonna end? And and and, to, and I have to actively fight that because sometimes it doesn't allow me to be okay in the moment. Um. And so that's to a certain degree why I started my podcast is because I wanted to remind myself that there are good times and that it's okay to enjoy them and be in them, not always to have a foot out the door because you're waiting for the bad thing to happen. Right. And I toggle back and forth between, between a lot of that. And, and I think that again, those with a window that I, you know, or what I put out the window for people to see is the fact that it's my reminders to myself that there is so much beauty in food, that there's wonders in music, that even though we are away, you know, distant from each other, there, there's so much passion and compassion between people that it's worth celebrating. And if I can show that to some degree through. The, you know, through the lens of my telephone, uh, then I want to do that for folks. 
And at the same time, be mindful of the fact that whenever I can, in my, in my podcast or on the InstaFace or, or on Twitter, to remind that, that I am very aware that there are inequalities in our system, that there are, you know, there's a lot of trouble out there, and that I need to keep myself in check that I, 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 I don't start believing my own press. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. That's good stuff. Yeah. It's, you know, and I think that there's something about it an immigrant, like what you were just saying there, you appreciate more. My father-in-law is an immigrant and, um, I just feel like, I almost feel like you, you guys get it more than somebody who's just born with our so-called quote unquote rights. You know what I mean? You guys, well, most definitely you get you know, it. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that. And again, this is, and, 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 and you know, I'm open to, to the discussion, but this is one of those things where uh, I became a naturalized U.S. citizen about uh, four years ago. Uh, and the reason Congratulations. Why did, thank you. And, and the reason why I did is because I didn't know where the wind was going to blow uh, with the politics as, as they are here in the U.S., so I might as well secure my spot uh, <laughs> before, things, before things change too much. Right. But one of the things that I that I always that always tickled me um, was the fact that I had to study to become a U.S. citizen. Right. Uh, and although a lot of the stuff to me is very elementary, um, I would go. I still went to courses and classes here at our local uh, adult school just to try to get you know make sure that I didn't take anything for granted and that I did my due diligence and 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 study the you know what you're supposed to study. Anyways, I would go to these. I would go to these classes, and I was surrounded with people that really struggled with the language, who are very bright, and people make the mistake that an individual with an accent is not smart. You're right. That's the silliest thing. Yeah, you're correct. <laughs> and the, but here are these people that, by hook or by crook, they're gonna make it happen. They are, and they are anxious and they are worried. The material is difficult for them because they have to do a lot of memorizations. I mean, you have hundreds and of questions that you have to to know. There's also going to be an interview process, plus your paperwork being looked at. And and I'm saying these guys are going to persevere. The majority of them are going to persevere, and they're going to become fellow Americans in, um, soon, just like I'm hoping that I am. But I go to the point at hand is that I earned my spot here. It wasn't, and not taking anything away from my children, but it wasn't a given for me. Right. Like it was for them. Right. Um, now you could say, well, that's you know, that's the Amer that's the immigrant experience, right? But whenever I see complaints online uh, of people that talk about you know America, they make America fantastic again, or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you read through their comments and you read through, through a lot of the nonsense and you realize you don't know your own systems of government. You don't know how we work necessarily or you, and you have no, um, you're not, you're not inquisitive. You just take it as a given. Um, I think, you don't know. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think the average American would fail that test. Yeah, I, I agree with you. <laughs> you know, it's difficult. I've seen some of the questions are on it, and I know my U.S. history really well, and I, I like to know things, and that's one of the things that I, I, I just like. I like to know knowledge, but some of the questions that are on it, I'm like, the average American would fail this test. 
I really feel I, they I would. I, I agree with you. I think that, and and that's where, you know, I, I, it really, I am of two minds about this question about, you know, Americans, you know, about citizenship and, and what it means, because I really think you should earn it. I, or at least you should, at every six months, no, every six years or so, you should go through a process of, uh, you know, just like your DMV, just yeah. go in there and, get, and, and, and make sure that you're still up on your, American government. Yeah, I've seen I've seen YouTube videos where there's a guy going around with a microphone asking people, you know, who did we who were we fighting in World War One or who were we fighting in World War Two? Or in seventeen seventy six we were fighting against the fill in the blank to gain our independence. And people are on the beach celebrating I don't know, I'm just here for a barbecue and it's like you don't know that we were against the you don't realize that Britain was in in charge of it. You don't realize in, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it baffles my mind and it makes my brain hurt, Hugo. It really bothers me immensely. The simple things that I feel that should be really common knowledge as an American that a lot of times we just don't know. I think it was Mitt Romney said it best, and I'm no, po- no this isn't about a politician. I just liked what he said. He said, we are a nation of immigrants. We are the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren of the ones who wanted a better life, the driven ones. The ones who woke up at night hearing that voice telling them that life in that place called America could be better. Yeah. And I feel that we, you know, that we forget that a lot of times of what an immigrant, how, what their dream is. And it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I can appreciate what it's the same as my father-in-law. I appreciate what he's, his struggles and his story is amazing to me. Just as, just as yours. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's one of the challenges that we have in this country, Patrick, and it's, it's the fact that we have to preface, uh, preface it a lot. So you talk about Mitt Romney. Now, I, again, you know, politics aside, there's going to be people out there in your audience that, you know, think you know, he's the be, you know, beginning and end of all politicians. Uh, I'm probably not the majority, but there's at least a few people that agree with him or, or, or like or, or like the guy. I, you know, I, I'm neither here nor there. Me neither. I just liked what the quote was. <laughs> but we have to preface it a lot of, of what we say because auto, because we all, we have to contextualize ourselves according to other people. We are very worried that we're going to upset others by our own personal politics. You're right. Any individual has, moment, has, has moments of wisdom and uh, and I'm hoping it wasn't just rhetoric for him that he genuinely felt that. But we have to do that a lot because our politics have gotten so toxic that the moment that you put an R next to somebody or a D mm. in front of another name, that all of a sudden it puts us in a box with another person and we could be dismissed or we could be loathed or you can be liked just by the fact that you are you know, associating with another individual. Totally Mitt agree. Romney, Mitt Romney, uh, or name your policy, your favorite politician, is a person with a a variety of, just like you and I, a variety of ideas and and, and, and leanings, uh, and, and 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 needs. Um, but we typically put people in such boxes that we don't allow ourselves to. That, that we can't see them any other way. You're right. And so, and so, a lot of times when I listen to people that I disagree with, I try to put them in a larger context and how they are 
you know, in either a symptom of their environment or how they're a product of their environment mm -hmm. and also how they are mirroring the society that, that we happen to live in. And so, I don't know, that's the other component about these modern times that we're living in is the fact that we have to preface a lot of that. And I really wish we should, we, we didn't have to. Me too. I hate that. That's one of the worst. You know, on my podcast that I have almost 400 episodes, I don't talk politics or religion. I just don't because even though I would love to and I've got so many things that I would really like to because I feel I've got some good ideas. I went to a Catholic school, so I should be able to talk some religion. I went to, you know, I should be able to talk those things. And it's like, no, don't, whatever you do, don't talk that stuff because you're going to upset somebody. And you're right. It's like, no, we should be able to, this is one of the things that is beautiful about humans. This thing that we're doing right now, communicating with one another, talking, having an idea and saying, whoa, I didn't think of it that way. Or, oh, wait a minute. I don't agree with that. Or that's okay that you think that way. And nowadays it's just like you said, it's red or blue, R or D. And, and it's, it sucks. It really is not good. I don't enjoy it. No, but, but, but to, 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 to the flip side of it though, that's where I am glad that we have the internet and that's why it's important to me that the internet be a, a free and open space. Uh, it, in, and I, in, in that sense, some of it is changing, but I like the fact that and I complain about this a lot. At least the way that I understand history, specifically U.S. history. But back in the day, back in the '40s, back in the '50s, you could have, uh, I don't know, Lee Iacocca, or you could have Richard Nixon go on to, uh, or even before that, FDR with the radio. You could have a fireside chat, and you could and you could have an individual, privileged probably, but you could still have an individual go on and have a long format interview that would last a long time that actually people would sit there and watch. Right. But now, and we, this has been a problem for a while. We live in a country of sound bites and that it has been an issue because it drives the narrative so easily. If you want to make a point, you can't point out that the president said something dumb because a, he says a lot of dumb things, but the fact that if you take a, two-minute snippet of a press conference that takes two hours, somebody's going to say something idiotic. Any president would do that. I know that if you talk, talk to me for two hours, I'm going to say something dumb. Yeah, same with me. But, Five minutes with well, me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but what I like about what you and I are doing and what I like about what your show is is doing, your podcast is doing, is that you are, you're allowing your audience to walk with you and through your thought process, through the way that you're coming across things. And for people that are gaining knowledge from you, Pat, um, there's value in walking along with somebody versus getting a snippet of them, you know, from a two-minute interaction. Right. And that's where I like, that's where I really like about, the, about this podcasting form is that it's letting the regular Joes, the you and I's of the world, talk our way through whoever wants to listen and plug in through what it is that our life is like. Um, and hopefully that will, that will let a lot of people know that, hey, listen, that guy is very similar to us. Yeah. And, and, and when you and I 
talk, it's like, oh, look at these two guys from the opposite end of the world. One lives in the hot, one lives in the cold. Um, but they're not really all that different uh, in a lot of different ways. Because that's the crazy part is when I have people that have, you know, that, that are voted Republican. And, and obviously, I, I, you know, I vote Democrat for the most part. But when we really sit down to break bread with a lot of these people here in, in, you know, that, that I know, we can be pals because yeah. we're not that different. Right, right. It's like that study that they, some scientists, I can't remember what school, I, my listeners would probably know, I don't know, I can't, I'm not going to make it up, but it was a college where they had, um, they turned the lights completely dark so you can't see and you sit at these tables and you have these communications and just open talk with people and they turn on the lights and you're sitting next to somebody maybe that's all pierced up with a mohawk or somebody that's all in leather or a biker or somebody that you would just never in your walking day walk up to and start a conversation with. And they had some of the best, most deep conversations they ever had because they were in the total darkness. Nobody can see anybody. Hmm. And uh, it was just pretty amazing study that can be done. I'm like, wow, we could we could learn a lot from that because we, we judge instantly. You know, a lot of times we were instantly with, so we do it with a lot of things, just how humans are. We're going to use that sense that's so important of vision. We take it, look, and uh, make a judgment in a split second about somebody. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the places that I, I've been watching a lot of Westworld. So a lot of this stuff has been on my mind. Um, and, and I don't know who anybody in your audience who, who watches that show. but I've got to see it. I haven't yet. Well, there's that and there's also that. But they talk a great deal about free will and, 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 and or perhaps the idea of free will or the fantasy of free will or that we may or may not really have it. But one of the things that I... I'm hoping for, uh, and it's a recurring theme in my podcast and in my thought process. Is in in it, it was it was if you ever watch the movie Contact, uh, they asked Jodie Foster's character, like, what would you ask the aliens right before she's about to embark on her on her travels, and what would you ask the aliens? And she asked some. She says something to the to the effect, and I'm paraphrasing badly, but she says something to the effect of, "How did you do it? How did you evolve this technological adolescence and not destroy yourselves so that you could go on and and, and do these wonderful things?" And again, that's a bad paraphrasing of, of her line, but we have so much. We have created so much in our technology and our, in our way to communicate with one another. And I really wonder if we were to, how, how do we turn off the lights so that we can really cut through the visuals and cut through our basic instincts and just really listen to what humanity needs? Because if we, if we were to just look at the humanity we, I, I think we could achieve a better plane. Oh, the stuff we could achieve would be remarkable. It would be remarkable because how many doors are closed on people that have good ideas just because they're not fitting into that quote-unquote norm or that cookie cutter or maybe somebody that has some great idea, but maybe they just don't have the needs to, or the needs to go to college or whatever it might be, and it's these great minds that are lost because like I said, too many doors are closed right before they can even be open because they weren't even allowed to come in. Yeah. 
It's again, and that's where I, that's where the importance of, of really talking to one another uh, is is paramount, I think, to our survival. But really talking to one another, and uh, and again, I, I don't know that we do a really good job as a society, a modern society, to teach those critical thinking skills and and, and that debate, true debate, uh, to our to the next generations. Um, I don't know that. You know, as much as I enjoy Twitter and I spend a great deal amount of time there, it's not a good place for debate because it doesn't allow you to have the nuance that's required for good conversation. Um, we, you know, we are so visual as people. And, and sometimes, when, for instance, when you and I talk here, and I don't know if you've seen this with other guests, but when, when you don't have the visual cues of when somebody's about to stop mm -hmm. and when somebody's start, it, you know, it, it stuns the com the conversation. Right. Now you and I are all pros, but I know that I've experienced that with, with other people where they're, they're talking through a thought and I feel like, when do I interrupt? Right. I don't have the visual cue to interrupt them with. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I, not to interrupt, but I agree <laughs> that we, we just talked <laughs> about, no, but I agree too that, um, we're very, besides visual, we're a very auto, auto creature where we need our, uh, our, our ears to hear things. And I think that, like you said, with Twitter, not a spot to debate is, yeah, you can be really great and say a uh, text and have the sentence come out great, but I can't convey it. And that's why I hate texting people. I'd rather call somebody than texting because I can't convey my feelings in a text. It might come out, but you don't hear where, um, are you having a good time or are you having a good time? You know what I mean? Just the way you reflect on the word time or the word, right. the question, you can come across so different in the meaning, even if it's so eloquent, if the person's not hearing the way you're meaning it, Tone. it can be lost as well. Well, I know that I've got a few times that I've been blocked. <laughs> they <and I've> <laughs> more, you know, not, not, not quite a lot. Cause I, like, again, I don't, I don't, I've always tried to go onto any kind of social media, and I want to be a, 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 a positive. Right. Uh, I want to contribute to the better good. I feel that. But at the times that I've gotten into trouble in, in the Twitter machine or, or any place that's, again, you're typing something out, is when I've tried to make a joke that in real life would be funny. Yeah. But because the tonality is not there, the delivery is not yep. there, a, people, a person confuses it for an insult yep. or and, 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 you know, and, and, and the block button is so easy. To <laughs> yeah. And you have to, you have to put the LOL at the end of the things and you're like that. I didn't want to put the LOL. I just wanted, I don't want to have to imply that I'm trying to be funny. You should know it's funny, but if I don't put that LOL in it, then I, I might offend somebody. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and that's one of the challenges of the, that communication. And again, that's where the podcast came from because I felt a lot of the times that first and foremost, I, you know, I, this is how old I am. I'm, I was around Twitter when it was only 140 characters. Yeah. Um, but that's one of the things that I felt. It's like, I, these are, this is my stream of consciousness for lack of a better term, but it's not enough. I mean, cause I'm putting out a thought here. But it's nowhere close to complete because it can't possibly be complete. There's so many different components that came to, fir to, to form that thought that I need to have it a, a, a larger uh, venue. Right. And I could blog about it, but I that, but it's easier for me to talk. Yeah. And so, you know, when, when I discovered, you know, the fact that the technology was now so easy to be able to start and record, I, I, I 
nuts when I began doing it. it had to jump it on was, it. You know, but slow by crook, the audience has, has grown to, to, to some degree. Uh, but it's it's that's where I'm glad to have this technology. That's where I'm glad to have developed the sphere of, of fellow podcasters that I, that I you you included who are for the most part positive and encouraging and and they're you know and, and they want this to evolve to help push the conversation forward. I like that concept. I like that idea. I'm having a blast right now with being able to talk to you and I, I appreciate your time. This was, this was a blast. I, I, I agree with you. Like I said, I, I apologize that my, the schedules have been so hectic as of late and it's one of those times now that whenever you can get work, you, you take it. Yeah, of course. Uh, and, and so I, I, you know, forgive me for, for not always. No, no worries. We made it happen. No worries. I'm glad we made it happen. Um, before we end, um, I'm obviously I'm going to share in the show notes of how people can contact you, but do you want to let anybody know your Twitter? Sure. It's Hugo's posts, H U G O S P O S T S. Uh, it's basically the best way to get in touch with me. And, and I'm one of those folks, you know, this Patrick, that I am always up for the debate as long as it's not from the standpoint of criticizing for criticizing sake, but but really criticizing because you want to expand the conversation. Right. So if you go on there, by all means, feel free. It's Hugo Torres on Instagram. And just like you said a minute ago, there's a lot of cooking that goes on here at my house because I enjoy doing that and a lot of board games. Um, and again, the, the, the podcast is Hugo's Post, and you can find me on you know, anywhere where you get your fine uh, listening uh, goodness. So, Patrick, uh, thank you so much for having me. It was a blast, Hugo. And I love that uh, on, I want to end. I love how you incorporate um, family is so important to you and you have family game night. I think family game night and all those things and board games are really important. I grew up doing that as well with my family. I just played uh, Stratego last night with my wife and I think that's really important, and uh, I think you're a wonderful father. It sounds like you're a wonderful father, and uh, I really hope our paths cross sometime because, you know, this this planet we're living on, this is what's neat to me. There's almost 8 billion people on this planet, and you and I were able to come together. The universe put us together for a reason, and I'm glad that they did. Wonderful, though. Thanks, Pat. All right, groovy, my friend. I'll talk to you real soon. Thank you. Peace.